Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We're reading through the New Testament portion of the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is January 7th, and our reading comes from Matthew chapter 6. Now remember, in Matthew chapters five through seven, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So in chapter six, we're going to continue to that. And he says, beginning in verse one, watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you'll lose your reward from your father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and in the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, what this passage doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if somebody ever figures out that you gave or helped somebody that somehow you lose your reward. What it does mean is Jesus is saying, don't give for your benefit give for the benefit of others. In other words, if in my giving, it really becomes an opportunity for me to advertise my giving so that everybody will praise me and think I'm great, then the truth is I'm not giving because I care about the person or the ministry or whatever it is that I'm giving to. I'm giving because I care about me. And so that's really not an act of generosity. It's actually a it's an act of greed or or selfishness motivated by my ego. And so Jesus says, let's be careful. Let's give in humility, not for our benefit, but the benefit of those we're giving to. Then verse five, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Again, we don't pray to be praised by men. We pray to communicate with our Father. Let me give you a great example of how this has played out in America. Over the last 70 years, there's been a lot of complaining about the fact that prayer was removed from public schools. Now, I I wish that we had strong believers in the classroom who could impact that classroom for Christ. I mean, that would be fantastic. But here's the, here's the thing that so concerns me is we've got Christians who don't pray complaining that we're not praying in the classroom. You know, the truth is I should be praying in my home and teaching my kids to pray. So I'm not expecting a secular school system and a teacher I don't know to teach my kids how to walk with God. That's my responsibility. So it's a good example of what Jesus is saying. Sometimes we do religious acts to be seen by men and to impress men. And we just need to know that's religion and has no true spiritual value. Everything that we do in regard to spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, sharing our our faith, giving, fasting, all the kinds of things that we do that somebody might call 
religious behaviors or spiritual disciplines or Christian practices. Those things are not done to impress people. They're done to strengthen our connection to Jesus. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So one thing I think is easy if we're not careful to fall into is to think prayer is is a formula. Prayer's like abracadabra, right? Or or we say a prayer and, and as long as we throw in Jesus' name and we say it with the right emphasis, then God's gonna, you know, feel obligated to do what it is we're asking him to do. All that's ridiculous. Prayer is about communion, connection, communicating with your Father. Prayer is about relating to God with childlike faith to a good and faithful and generous Father. So prayer is about learning to talk to God. So prayer, the way you talk to God, should be very similar to the way you would talk to your spouse or best friend or somebody that you really love and trust. That should characterize the the culture of your prayer life, not kind of a, a religious performance. And then Jesus teaches the disciples exactly what he means. And he begins teaching them the Lord's prayer. So here's what he says we should do in prayer. First of all, he says, our Father. In other words, it's not just my Father. In prayer, I need to recognize that God is sovereign over the whole world and that God is just as concerned about what my neighbor needs as he is my need. It's not just my Father, it's our Father. And so God is acting in a way that is is good for, for everybody. Then he says, Father, and that was very significant because this was a radical idea. When Jesus taught the disciples and this group of people on a mountainside to pray, our Father, that was such personal, relational language, very strange, very unique to Christianity, very unique to Jesus. And he teaches that and models it throughout the New Testament. So God wants us to relate to him as a good father. He wants us to have simple childlike faith. He wants us to run to him for help. And then he says, our father in heaven. So he's not just our father in personal. He is also the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is a father with resource and power and wisdom who knows what to do and is able to do it. Then he says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we want what God wants. I mean, even this morning, I was walking and praying about a couple of things, and and I just found myself saying, God, you know what? I'm asking you to respond this way, but the truth is, maybe that's not what's best for your kingdom or me. So I trust you. You're my father and you're sovereign over all of this. And you are so wise and you know what is exactly right. And I tr- I want what you want because I believe what you want is best for me. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day the food we need. Asking God for provision in your life. And in every, and that's not just financial provision. Maybe that's relational 
provision. Maybe that's more time or the ability as we begin a new year to to manage my time and to find more rest, not be so overextended. Maybe part of the provision is, God, help me to be content so that what I have is enough, right? And then he says this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgiveness is so important to the Christian life. We've got to forgive people in order to set our hearts free and to receive God's forgiveness. Verse 13, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from evil. I want to run from sin. I want to run from temptation. I want to run. I don't want to get as close as I can without getting burned. Because typically when you try to see how close can I get before I cross the line, well, before you know it, you're over the line, right? So I want to move away from sin by moving towards Jesus. As long as I'm moving towards Jesus, I'm moving away from sin. The moment I stop moving towards Jesus, I begin drifting to sin. Because remember, sin is basically independence. So I'm moving towards Jesus in dependence, and therefore I'm moving away from independence, which is really what sin is. Verse 15, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So forgiveness is essential to our spiritual condition. Verse 16, when you fast, now this is important because we're about to begin our fast. When you fast, man, don't do like the hypocrites do. They look miserable. They walk around complaining, whining about their fast so that people will admire them for their fasting, for their sacrifice, for their religious behavior. He says, I tell you the truth. That is the only reward you'll ever get. When you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. That way, no one will even notice that you're fasting except your father. I don't fast to impress people or to impress God. I fast to prepare my heart to receive the new thing that God is trying to do in my life. And in fact, the goal of fasting is to be full of Jesus. And the truth is, if I am satisfied in Jesus, I'm not walking around pouting and and looking downcast and looking depressed and looking sad and, and complaining about my suffering. No, when I'm full of Jesus, really in the midst of my fast, I should look better than ever. Not necessarily physically better than ever, but certainly when people are with me, there should be the aroma, the fragrance of Christ, because the fast is is pushing me into his presence. Verse 19, don't store up your treasure here on earth where moth and rust, where moths eat and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasure in heaven, right? Wherever, verse 21, your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be also. Listen, if Jesus is going to be first in our life, we must make giving a priority. When it comes to managing our money, God needs to receive the first 10%, the first of our best, excuse me. That is so important because when we don't do that, our money, our possessions, our financial future, our financial security, all of that becomes our God. 
that takes first place. And in American culture and all of our prosperity, the truth is most people are driven by their bank account rather than be driven by God. And listen, your heart follows your money. So when I give and I invest in the kingdom, then my heart gravitates, drifts towards the kingdom. Verse 22, your eye is the lamp that produces light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. I've got to be very careful what I see what I give my attention to. And again, in American culture, if we're not careful, we are so distracted. There's so much noise. There are so many images, so many things that are keeping me from seeing Jesus in the kingdom that are numbing my sensitivity and often perverting my mind and my thinking. My mind, my eyes are the gateway, the doorway into my mind and my soul and my spirit. So I got to really guard that. This is why the truth is I'm not on social media. This is why I don't really watch television unless I'm watching with Tina or watching a ball game with my son or watching the playoffs or whatever. I'm just very careful about letting things into my mind that may dull my sensitivity to the spirit of God and to the people in my life that I love. So I want to be really careful about that. And then finally, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one or or despise the other. You cannot serve God and your money. You got to make a decision. Am I going to serve God with my life and my money? Or am I going to serve the American dream? We all have to decide about that. It's either his kingdom or my kingdom. Well, hope that helps you today. Let me pray for you, Father. Thank you so much for the instruction. One of the things I so love about today is how you're trying to lead us into a relationship with you that is so real and practical and tangible. It's not religious and phony and plastic and about pretense and impressing people or even impressing you. It's about drawing near to you and walking with you and allowing you to transform our hearts from the inside out. So God, I pray for every person listening. Help us all to grow in our capacity to walk with you and to be transformed by your word and your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope that encourages you. Thanks again for being with me today. And remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We'll see you again tomorrow.